This episode is brought to you by Delta Airlines. I recently flew Delta, I want to say about a week ago now, and I was coming back home from being in Atlanta for a speaking engagement, and Delta just gave me such a wonderful experience. And it really was the icing on the cake of just such an amazing weekend that I had. Some of the things that I loved particularly about my Delta airline experience was first, the amazing customer service. Everyone there was so kind, so welcoming, so present, so attentive. And a small thing, but was big to me, was just something simple as having headphones so that I can enjoy more than a thousand hours of in-flight entertainment. I mean, my flight wasn't that long, but I got to catch up on a movie, some shows, just things I don't have time to do usually at home. I was able to enjoy that in the air. Delta also offers fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi, and it's available for SkyMiles members. Being able to access the Wi-Fi, I was able to order some groceries and just get a head start on my week. It was a great end to my experience and ushered me right back in to being home. So even if you're not home yet, Delta Airlines helps you feel a little bit like it. Delta Airlines believes that you should feel at home, even if you're 30,000 feet above it. Learn more at Delta.com. This episode is brought to you by Happy Mammoth. Listen, over the last weekend, I went to a family reunion. And unfortunately, that fell on that particular time of the month that all of the women know what I'm talking about. So I had an attitude I wanted to eat everything, and I was in the South, which means I wanted to eat everything that was terrible for me. And overall, I just wasn't feeling it. I had a great time, just wasn't feeling like myself. Now it's easier to manage PMS with estro control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the show code BLESSED at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code BLESSED for 15% off today. Take care of your property with equipment you can count on, like the Kubota BX and L01 Series compact tractors, part of our under 100 horsepower tractor lineup, rated number one for reliability, and Z-Series mowers and sidekick utility vehicles, where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Visit GoKubota.com for a dealer near you. This episode of the Blessed and Bossed Up podcast is brought to you by God is My CEO, a prayer journal for entrepreneurs. I am so excited about this journal because it is the first ever prayer journal specifically for entrepreneurs. God gave me this idea a little over a month ago for me to create this journal for business owners. And I am just amazed with the response that has gotten thus far, the people who've been able to pre-order it and download the 
the virtual digital version um, and get started with growing that relationship with God and allowing God to be the CEO of their business. This journal is amazing because it has a space for you to surrender your business to God. Uh, it has a space for you to write down your million dollar ideas that God is going to give you as you grow in your relationship with him. It has a place for you to write down your answer prayers so that you can constantly be reminded that if he did it once, he'll do it again. There's a page, there's a section called I feel, but I know and in that section, it allows you to navigate the difficult feelings and sometimes just the very personal feelings of being an entrepreneur and relate that to what the scripture says so that you can be encouraged in those not so sexy parts of entrepreneurship. There's also a section for sermon notes. So if you guys are like me and you watch a lot of sermons online or if you just attend church, there's a section for you to take notes in there as well. And then, of course, there are the journaling pages. So there's a morning and evening section for you to journal and spend time with God every single day. So I'm so excited about this journal. I've been getting such amazing responses from everyone who's pre-ordered already and been able to utilize the digital version. So make sure you go to www.blessedandbossedup.com so that you can pre-order yours today. Let's start the show. You are listening to Blessed and Bossed Up, presented by Anchored Media, an entrepreneurship podcast for Christians all about how to make God the CEO of your business. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, but well-equipped to live and build your destiny his way. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Blessed and Bossed Up podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Miss Takia Blackman, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. I said it right. Miss Takia Blackman of the Fireflies podcast. So today um, we're going to be talking about mental health because May is Mental Health Awareness Month mm-hmm. and Minority Mental Health Awareness Month is in June, right? July. July. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's Mental Health Awareness Month and we're minorities, we're going to talk about it now as well as July. <laughs> But um, yeah, let's just start by you telling us a little bit of, about why you're so passionate about mental health. Um, so originally I became passionate about it because of my experience. So I was diagnosed in 2015, I think, yeah, with a generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. And I was really in denial. Like, I kind of knew, but I was like, no, because I didn't really have an understanding because it wasn't like mental health or mental illness was really talked about growing up. So I just thought, like, if someone says depression, that just means they're sad. But I didn't realize, like, it's so much more complex than Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And then I also lost my cousin, who was 13, to suicide. And so it just made me, um, I think partly because when I, so when I was admitted into the hospital, I remember saying to, <laughs> okay, wait, 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 okay. wait, wait, we're skipping. Okay. So you said that you were diagnosed. When did that happen? I was diagnosed in September of 2015. Okay. And how did that come about? So I had a moment where I was feeling suicidal and but that wasn't the first time I felt suicidal. It started when I was like 14. That's when the thoughts the thoughts were like really there. Wow. But it was like I would suppress it and then it would like come back. And then it got to the point where like I could not 
like suppress it anymore. I guess when you get to the point of trying to push things down, Mm -hmm. it just kind of spills over. Mm -hmm. And so it got to that point where I was thinking about it for like eight months straight, every single day, all day. Like I would be sitting at work at my desk and just thinking about thinking about it. And I would be in my car and I'll be like, I should just run my car over um, into another car and then it'll look like an accident and people won't really know. So it was just like all of these things that I just was constantly thinking about. And I think other things factor into it. So I, I was in, I was finishing up grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was like trying to come back into my life with him being incarcerated and in not a jail my entire life. So I think trying to juggle all of that and having years of suppressing things since I was 12, it just kind of came spilling over. Mm-hmm. And that's what eventually led to I was just doing like a Google search, search on my phone because I was also like couldn't get out of bed. I kind of felt like um, like I had bricks laying on top of my body. Wow. So I felt stuck. I felt paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And then eventually um, I was like, let me just look look up what, what it is. And so I was like, well, maybe it could be depression. And then so I wound up making an appointment to go see um, a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And then they wind up referring me to a therapist. And I was diagnosed then. Wow. And what age was that? Um, I was 24 or 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you feel in that moment? <sighs> Honestly, it, I felt not happy, but I felt a sense of relief because I was glad that I could put like a name to what right. was going right. on and mm-hmm. that like, okay, I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. But I was also, I think, angry and frustrated. I think partly is because with me um, growing up in the church, I was always told, you know, we hear the scripture, life and death is in the power of the tongue. So I thought that if I said, like, I have this, if I say it out loud, that means I'm giving myself this. Got it. So I often felt conflicted, like, with my faith Mm -hmm. and with what the doctors was telling me. So I was like, you know, I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you know, God is going to heal me. And... So I was like, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not going to claim on to that. But it wasn't until I was forced into the hospital that I okay, there's actually a problem. Hmm. I want to unpack the faith part so much, but I'm I got to get my words right. But so while I think about that, but tell me about how did you get to the point where you were (laughs) admitted into the hospital? What was what happened? Yeah. So for about a week straight, I was in the bed. I could laugh now. I was funky as heck. <laughs> I, not, I was not showering. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what. I was not eating. Mm-hmm. I was just literally just laying there. Like, only time I would get up was to, like, use the bathroom. Wow. And I just... And I was moving. I remember just moving, like, really slow because I haven't had anything to eat in maybe three or four days. Mm-hmm. And so... I remember texting my, I texted a few of my friends. It was like maybe the same three or four. And I would just kind of say like, I'm not feeling well, you know, something's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think I actually told all of them what my diagnosis was at the time. But there was one particular friend who I said, actually my friend who I was featuring in the magazine with, she, I was like, I just, it'll be better if I wasn't here anymore. I don't know what happened after that or what she did in that moment. Now mm-hmm. I do. She said that she wound up, she was working uh, for BET at the time, and she wound up calling, what's the line that they have? Where, the like, suicide hotline? It's it's not the suicide hotline, but it's basically like a line where uh, people who usually work for big companies, where it's similar to like, if they talk oh, to Oh, it's their- like the little... Um- 
I know what you're talking about. Employees have a benefit to right. be able to call. Uh-huh. Yeah, like the stress hotline or something. Right. Like so it yeah. was something like that. And it was like, what would you, what do you, she basically told me that she said to them, what would you do if this is uh, a friend said that they, you know, it would be better if they weren't here anymore. And um, she said they were like, after she got through, like, if a friend, because they thought it was her, she was mm-hmm. like, no, it's really for a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, she said they told her to, you know, call the police and have them to go to her house. Now, at the time, I was living in Clinton, and my friend was all the way in D.C., so she couldn't mm-hmm. get to me as fast. Mm-hmm. So the police showed up at my house, and I remember them, like, knocking on the door at first, but I, like, I was, I there, I didn't have the energy to get up, so I just, like, laid there and was like, oh, they're eventually going to leave. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. So next minute, I know they're, like, break, they found some way, wherever, they, like, broke into the window, <laughs> and they're like, Miss um, Blackman, um, we're here to do a wellness check, and I was like, I'm fine, and I think I, I was like, okay, they're going to leave. No. Mm-hmm. Then they wind up, like, picking the lock, opening the door, and they were like, you know, we got a call and said that you're um, by your friend. But I actually, no, they didn't say who it was. They was like, we got a call and someone uh, wants to make sure that you're OK. So how are you feeling? I remember them. I don't remember everything because some is some of yeah. it's like a blur. But they were asking me, like, um, do you want to harm yourself? And I remember telling them, like, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, you don't look well. When was the last time you ate? And I said, um, I don't know, maybe three or four days ago. And then they were like, well, we're going to have to make the decision that you have to go into the hospital because right now you are a threat to yourself. Mm -hmm. So either we're going to call 911 and and help you into the ambulance or we're going to handcuff you. And I was like, I'm not about to get handcuffed. Right, right. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, we're not going to start that today. So they waited. It took me probably about like 40 minutes to actually like shower and like really get dressed. It just seemed like it was a very long time for Mm -hmm. me as far as like movement wise. Yeah. And they took me to the hospital. When I remember when I got to the hospital, um, they like took everything from me. They was like, you know, they had, they took my phone. So like nobody knew where I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said that they like took all of my clothes because they didn't want me to have since I was a suicide on suicide watch. I couldn't have anything that could be a a threat to myself. Right. Um, yeah. So then I remember getting there and sitting and waiting for a bed. And eventually when I remember going upstairs, I was like terrified. Cause the only thing I remember thinking about was the movie Good Burger. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, you don't remember when they were in the psychiatric oh, unit? Oh, yes. Go- yes. <laughs> so okay. I was thinking of like zombie looking type people yeah. like walking around and mm-hmm. like, so I was afraid, you yeah. know, I was like, oh my gosh, like. So I remember just crying, like they were t- taking my vitals and the nurse was saying like, it's okay, you know, you by you making the decision. Actually, let me backtrack a little bit. The psychiatrist, he came before they brought me upstairs and said, we're not going to let you go. You either can voluntarily check yourself in or involuntarily. And basically with voluntarily, it gives you more control over the process. Right. So I agreed to check myself in. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I was crying and then the nurse said, you know, you're going to be okay. You know, don't worry about anything you know you're safe and I just remember being really scared and when I was in the hospital for like the first two days I did not eat at all because we only could eat in like this common community area Mm -hmm. and I was afraid that like people out there were like crazy 
yeah. whatever crazy mm-hmm. is for people. And so I was like, I'm not going out there. So I remember like I just showered and I stayed in my room. I had a roommate and she was um, sleep most of the time, whatever medicine they had on. She was like drugged up. Mm-hmm. And so I just cried a lot. And then when the social worker came in, she said, why aren't you eating? If you want to go home, you have to show some type of improvement. So when you're in the psychiatric unit, they give you a social worker, they give you a psychiatrist, and then they have like a medical text that kind of walk around, especially to check people who are on suicidal watch. So they check you like every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I literally felt like I was in jail. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling one of the directors of there, and I kept saying, I don't belong here. And she said, what do you mean you don't belong here? I was like, because um, I have a master's degree, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, Okay, yeah. And so she was like, um, people with master's degrees have like mental breakdowns and they have mental illness too. You know, it's not just limited to the person walking down the street talking to themselves. And that's when it made me realize, okay, there are people who are can be viewed as highly functional and like actually mentally ill. Mm-hmm. So from that moment, that's when I was like, okay, something has to change. Like I have to do something. I cannot be going through my life basically not functioning. And not taking care of myself because at that point, that's when I knew that mental illness or in this, since my diagnosis was major depressive and generalized anxiety disorders, that there was an issue because it was interfering with my daily activity. Mm -hmm. And I basically was like, um, they kind of, you know, people say like the difference between existing and living. Mm -hmm. And I was simply existing. Wow. So... I want to kind of go back to that point where you were saying that you were afraid to say it out loud because of your faith and things like that. So did your faith make you not want to take medication at that point? Is that what it was? It it made me not want to take medication. It made me not want to go see a therapist because one of my... You're not going to name names. One of my uh, former pastors told me that I should talk in tongues for 20 minutes a day. And I was like, I don't even know how to talk in tongues. Like, that's that can be a gift for some people, but that wasn't my gift. And he was even saying, like, well, when I would he was like, when I would finish preaching uh, every time to to all of y'all or at church, he was like, I would um, I would get depressed, too. But then I'm like. That's when it hit me, like, some people actually don't understand what it means. Like, depression yeah. is not a synonym for sadness. Right. I can have... So he told you that as what? As a cure? Yeah. To mm-hmm. cure the depression? It's That stuff, stuff like that, man, it really just kills me because that's the stuff that, that takes people away from God in the mm-hmm. first place. It's the mistakes of the individuals that's supposed to lead you closer to God and stuff like uh, stuff like that really just breaks my heart. But I'm, I'm grateful that you didn't give up on God because mm-hmm. of someone like that who was very much so misinformed. Mm-hmm. So what was your faith like after that? So after that, my faith, like, it was non-existent, I would mm-hmm. say, because mm-hmm. I was angry with God. I didn't think that God was even real. I questioned if there was a God. Um, I was like, if there, if God is real, then why would he let this happen to me? You know, when right. we kind of get through that phase of like, woe is me and mm-hmm. ask questioning God. And so if someone like my godmother would call me and say, like, I'm praying for you or people would like or my friends would be like wanting to give me scriptures or like I didn't want to hear gospel music. I was mm-hmm. not stepping foot in anybody's church. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't have like nothing. 
I didn't want to associate with anything that had to do with like God. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I don't think that I will say this. I don't think that anyone heart was in the wrong place. It's just that they were uh, ignorant and just not educated on mental illness. I don't think that they were trying to steer me in the wrong direction intentionally. They just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just pushed away and Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. And I had told my friends was like, yeah, I don't even know if I consider myself a Christian anymore. I remember telling my friends that and, One of my friends was like, you know, really? And I was just like, yeah, you know, I was like, because I just don't understand how God could let me get to this point in my life. Mm -hmm. Not to mention that, like, I got saved on my own at 12 years old. So Mm -hmm. there were people in my life who started introducing God to me. And then a lot of it, I just continued to pursue it on my own. And part of that was because of like seeing my mom abused or my dad using drugs like church. Mm -hmm. In that instance was my only outlet. Right. But so when I felt like God had let me down, Mm -hmm. I was like, like, why would I want to be a part of something or have a relationship with somebody who I feel like doesn't love me or neglected me? Mm-hmm. Got you. So what was that turning point then to where you found yourself going back to God? You know what? I can't remember the first. I can't remember like when it, it first happened. Mm-hmm. But I can say that. The earliest memory that I have is listening to the podcast. What podcast? Your podcast. Shut up. <laughs> oh, girl, what podcast? What? Podcast. Yeah, so I don't remember, like, it, because it was like a... Um, it, it was like a gradual process, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like overnight. Yeah. So I remember you like, it, it was earlier when you were saying like you were changing the direction of the podcast mm-hmm. and you were including God more in it. And I was like, God, look at you trying to sneak your way back in here. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Hold up. Cause I refuse to give this podcast that much credit. So, <laughs> so what was it then? Like, I know I talk about God a lot on the show, but it had to resonate with you in a way if it brought you back to him. So mm-hmm. how? So I was already in the process of where it got to the point where I was starting to pray. Now, before, like I okay. mentioned the change of the direction of the podcast, I was actually starting to get back to praying to God because before I was not praying. At, mm-hmm. Like, well, I stopped praying rather. Mm-hmm. And well, why did you start praying again then? I just felt, I don't know, I just felt the need that that's what I should be doing, even though I was still had a point of being angry because I'm like, okay, in order for me to be able to have, or try, I don't even think at that point, I think it was, it was one of those things where that's all I knew how to do. Mm, okay. So even if I was still angry, mm-hmm. I still was like, okay, I have to get back to praying because my faith has been something that has literally been the most important thing in my life. So much so that when I was in college, like I started a ministry on Howard's campus that still exists to this day. Mm -hmm. Like it's been, it was always a part of my everyday life. So to go from kind of being like spiritually, I guess if you want to look at it like spiritually high Mm -hmm. to going like dropping down to like rock bottom, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have to figure out not necessarily how do I get back to that point, but what do I need to do in my life to make 
the changes Mm -hmm. to allow God back into my life. Mm -hmm. And so I remember you saying like, in order to have like a successful business, you know, God needs to be a part of that. Like you can't be like, okay, God, I'm going to give you my life, but I'm not going to give you my business. Right. I'm going to give you my finances, but I'm not going to give you that relationship. Like compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And I think for a long time, that's kind of what I did. And I was like, okay, so there has to be a change where I I give God everything and I can't pick and choose what parts of my life Mm -hmm. I want to give. And so, so from there, I remember just listening in and then just obviously being a faithful listener every week. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, I just, that desire slowly started coming wow. back. Like it just slowly started coming back. And then, um, I would, you know, read devotionals and then like there'd be resources that you would share. And now I'm to the point where I feel like I may not be as far as I was before, but Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm uh, reading the Bible, the fact that I'm praying, the fact- I'm literally tearing up. Keep going. I'm going (laughs) to try not to shed a thug to you. I got tears crying. (laughs) I'm not going to shed a thug tear on live. Go ahead. Keep going. The fact that I could get to a point where like I had nothing- at all that I like I wanted I didn't want to have anything to do with God and to get to the point of where like I want to say I'm as spiritually as I was before but I see the progression yeah and I was like okay God I feel like God was doing little things to allow me to say like I'm still here some people call it like a God wink mm-hmm, where God will mm-hmm. do little things to you to say like I'm still here I didn't forget about you and I remember being one time in the car I was heading to a trainer a mental health trainer and I literally heard God say I told you that I called you Mm. and it like literally made me just break down and cry because I always knew that God had called me to be great like I always knew that um I always saw the vision that God has for my life. Now, I didn't exactly know how I would get there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't exactly know how, like, all the details of it. But I just always knew that God was calling me to be great. And because pe- people always naturally followed me or came to me for advice. But I was like, something's not right. Because in that point, I've always said that right before I was diagnosed, I was like, I was too busy trying to save the world, but I couldn't even save myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so many times we feel like we need to do all of these things to try to fill voids in our life, whether Mm -hmm. it's start a business or that relationship, but not going back to the source and the source is God. So that's really what led me back to starting to pursue my relationship. This is so amazing because... And it's just it's just amazing for me to really just sit here and talk to you because, I mean, I know that you're a faithful listener of the show, but it just reaffirms so much in me that God put in me. I'm trying not to cry. I'm a gangster. I'm a gangster. <laughs> I'm a G. I'm a G. <laughs> but it's just, you know, to to think just, oh, my God, like this, just, just this show, right? I remember just God telling me, people, my people need me. And it's easy for them to go and seek out help for business and things like that because it's something they're excited about. It's their ambition. It ain't really their their business idea hasn't hurt them or somebody that represented their business idea didn't hurt them the way that somebody who represented God has hurt them. And so people are turning away from me, but they're clinging to their ambitions, not realizing mm-hmm. that I'm going to be the one to to 
make them successful. So I'm going to use you in this show, something that people are going to gravitate to to for their ambition and introduce myself or reintroduce myself mm-hmm. to them in a way that ultimately brings them back to me. And to me, it was kind of like, okay, like, you know, that's that's super deep. But, but it was something that, you know, it's something that you I was just obedient with, but I never really would... I see the results as far as I see people online and I see the reviews and stuff like that. But just to kind of hear in real time how just listening to this show and me just talking and planting little seeds led you back to God is just like I can't like I can't even I can't even really I can't even really break that down right now just because it's surreal and it just really shows how God will really use you. And now by you being brought back to God, he's done so much in you and he's going to do so much through you for other people. And that's what makes me tear up the most because God told me, I remember praying and asking God, like, Lord, can you just expand my territory? Or when God would tell me like, I don't want to, I don't want you to like work with people one-on-one continuously anymore because I'm going to allow you to plant the seeds or be the domino effect that makes other people go on and continue out my purpose. So me just talking, make plant something in you and then you go out there in your community and you go out there with what you're passionate about and what your assignment is. And I may say something to somebody else that's listening to this show, may take that and, and seek God on behalf of their business and go out there and help bring other people closer to him through whatever it is that they do. So just to kind of see, it's, it's really just confirmation for what I knew and what I was being mm-hmm. obedient in, but just talking to you just really, it just fills my heart up so much because it allows me to just see how amazing God is. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can't. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> so in the midst of everything that you went through, you actually did have a business in the midst mm-hmm. of your episode. So what was that business? So it was right after I graduated from getting my master's. My mm-hmm. friend and I started uh, communications or like a communication and events agency because mm-hmm. my background is my undergrad is in production mm-hmm. and my master's is in PR and corporate comms. So I was really trying to find a way to merge the two. Mm-hmm. And so I always had I've always been socially driven. Like that's always yeah. been the root of anything that I have done. So I was like. I want to work with clients who have social causes. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to work with clients who have social causes. This is what we're going to do. So, but there was so many like roadblocks. So like, I remember like hiring somebody to do the website and then like they took the money and then Mm -hmm. they didn't do the website. And then it was like the guy who did the website, he was taking like forever and wouldn't send updates. And it was just kind of one thing after another. Mm -hmm. And then not to mention I was also preparing to grad, to get my master's, but I was also launching the business at the same time okay. and starting to go on an episode, but I wasn't diagnosed at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I started building a team. We was having calls and I did get like clients here and there that I would work with. Then eventually I was like, when my, once I was diagnosed, I would tell my friend, like, I need to take a break and then revisit this. I was like, there's no way that I can help people in this state. Like Mm -hmm. mentally I'm not here. Mm -hmm. And so I, we decided, okay, we're going to put it on hold. And then two years ago, Um, It was like around the summertime and I told her, I was like, I don't think I want to do this no more. Mm. And she was like, why? I was like, because I feel lead to use my communications and media skills to do mental health. And she was like, 
oh, okay. And I was like, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. I started writing articles, but I was writing under alias name. Mm -hmm. I was writing under Joy Green. So um, (laughs) I was like, Joy, because that's not, I didn't have it. (laughs) Right. Speaking that one into existence, right? (laughs) And green is the uh, color of the mental health ribbon. So that's how we got Joy Green. Mm -hmm. And so I was writing articles and I was like, okay, well, what more can I do besides just writing articles and, you know, people paying me to write articles? Um, And so that was a time where I would say probably like March of last year where I kept saying, like, okay, I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to do the podcast. But then I was like, no, I'm not. This is not what I want to do. And so my friend, she was like, well, Takiya, I really feel like there's this certain level of joy and you light up when it comes to mental health. And so maybe you taking those skills is not a bad thing. And so after deciding, I was like, yeah, this is not what I want to do no more. So eventually I just decided to not do that anymore. And it was hard because I enjoyed the work that I was doing as far as like I worked on like, you know, Black Girls Rock or the Soul Train Awards. And those were great opportunities. That's not to say that I wasn't happy with doing those, but it's just that I felt led to go in another direction. And so I was like, okay, God, how can I take those skills and apply it to something towards mental health and then so that's how one of the reasons why I started the podcast and I think that's important to note like when you are operating outside of the lane or the assignment that God has for your life it's a whole lot more difficult Mm -hmm. than when you're actually walking in your purpose and what he wants you to do and then like you said you were able to work on these major networks or these major events but and this kind of goes back to what I say all the time that people can be successful and not be operating in the will of God Mm -hmm. like you can make a lot of money you can be on the biggest platforms but there's something to say about a lot of people who reach a certain level of success but then they do things like actually commit suicide or they aren't happy with and not from just the mental health aspect because I know they can't control that but Mm -hmm. They are just not happy from with all of that success. They're just not happy. And it's because they're operating outside of will of the will of God for their life. And that's why it's so important for us to make sure that we make the make God the CEO of our business. And we actually seek him on behalf of what he wants us Mm -hmm. to do, because you did what you wanted to do. And it, it was just so much going on. But then he still was like, hey, I still called you to do this. And so even as and it's funny, because I remember um, you were talking about how like this isn't supposed to happen to me I had a ma- I have a master's degree and I don't want to say happen to me as if it's an accident or something right, but, right, right. Mm-hmm. but um, I'm not supposed to have this illness because I have a master's degree but it goes to show how that is directly tied within your calling mm-hmm. so now you're able to speak to people with mental illness from the the you can meet them exactly where they at and you wouldn't have been able to do that if you wouldn't have been diagnosed no, in the right. first place and so it just really shows that in our lowest moments and in those times where we feel like God has forgotten about us, it's all a part of a plan that one leads us back to him, that two allows us to live our best life because we're walking in his purpose. But then it also leads other people to him. So mm-hmm. I think that your story is so amazing in that aspect. And I love how honest and transparent you are about it. Um, so let's talk about when you decided to start the podcast. How did you know that a podcast specifically is what God was calling you to do uh, for your purpose? So one of those being with that, there are a lot of uh, black mental health podcasts that are really they're really good. But I kept saying, like, where are the people who are being treated? Like, Mm -hmm. I want to God, like I want to connect with people who 
who can who have bipolar disorder or who may have schizophrenia or may have panic disorder, whatever mental illness it is, I want to connect with those people because for so for so long I felt like I was by myself. I'm mm-hmm. not the only one with a mental diagnosis. So where are her? Where's my clique? Basically, yeah. yeah. And so God's like, you create your own. And so I was like, well, how, how am I going to do that? Because I was writing the articles and people were commenting under them and like, you know, I love your transparency. Thank you for sharing your story. And I remember like just searching, searching for podcasts. And then there was like a podcast that was talking about mental illness, but it was not for people of color. And I just, our experiences are different. Mm-hmm. And so God says, create one. And so I was like, that's not, I mean, granted, I have a production background, so I know the technical, um, you know, aspect of it, but I just was like, yeah, I don't really know about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, there are other, there because I felt like, I remember actually telling my therapist this, I was like, there are already other people doing that. Like, because you know how you say, like, why, why should I do it? Mm-hmm. I was like, there are already successful podcasts, like, you know, Therapy for Black Girls is a great uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. I was just like, but then at the end of the day, you know, no one can do it from my perspective. Like mm-hmm. my personal experience. And I can say that I've interviewed people on the podcast, you know, who has bipolar disorder. I talked to pastors who have bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. I've, um, you know, even with, you know, Tish talking about her mom and uh, be- battling schizophrenia mm-hmm. and just really creating that platform where people who, whether they've been impacted by it or survived suicide, however, uh, mental illness showed up in their life where it was because of their personal diagnosis or a close loved one mm-hmm. that, Essentially, we're all impacted by mental illness, whether we realize it or not. Mm -hmm. And so really creating that community, it it gave me a sense of hope because now people are starting to reach out to me like, hey, you know, you know where I can find a therapist here. And I'm like. Okay, God, I see what you're doing. <laughs> um, and, but it did. There was an instance where because of the podcast, one of my friends said that she shared her podcast. No, she shared my podcast with her Neo. Mm-hmm. And she was like, um, she's a recent suicide survivor. She just got out of the hospital like last week. And I need you to talk to her. And I, you know, told her about your podcast and what you're doing. And I was like. Okay, you know, because I still get kind of weary, like when not yeah. weary, but it's like you reaching out to me, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know. So, mm-hmm. um, I was talking to her, and she was recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder and has suffered a lot of trauma. And I was talking to her within 15 minutes, she literally broke down and told me so much stuff about her life that my friend who connected us didn't even know. Wow, and I was like, okay. Apparently, there's a gift there to the point that I made someone feel so safe and not to um, not judgmental, because a lot of times people could tell you their story and they look at you sideways. Mm -hmm. But it's like I had enough compassion and Mm -hmm. I prayed with her and, you know, told her that, you know, you're not by yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, with bipolar disorder is different because they don't just have the depressive episodes. They have mania, which is when they're like having these thoughts of grandeur and they may not sleep for like seven days and they're like on autopilot. Like it's a bit more complex. So they Mm -hmm. have the low, but they also have the high. But the fact 
fact that she felt like she could share. And I was like, okay, God, I could tell that this is the area that you're calling me to because naturally people are gravitating toward me. Like Mm -hmm. where are the resources? Um, Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel like I'm by myself. And so that's how, you know, starting the podcast, it just opened up doors for speaking and, you know, Mm -hmm. and writing on other platforms. And I just see how God has, when you think of the scripture, you know, your gift will make room for you. Like it's so true. And I didn't like, I was like, people always say that, like, you know, cause sometimes it's one of those things growing up in the church, you hear things over and over that sometimes they may lose its meaning. Mm -hmm. But now I'm like, no, that scripture is real. It's, Mm -hmm. it's so true just because like there are things that I didn't even plan for. And it's just like, they're just falling onto my lap. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's not saying that it's not, that it's not, um, that it's not hard to like build a business or do the things that you really want to do. But it comes with a different, with a certain level of ease when it's yeah. in your, when it's in alignment with God. That peace of God mm-hmm. is real. Mm-hmm. So how do you, now that you're back to growing your relationship with God, what is that like for you? Especially now that you're walking in this assignment or you really, your steps have to be ordered because you got to make sure that you stay on assignment mm-hmm. and you don't veer off because you feel like, okay, I got it from here. So how do you make sure that you not only have made God your CEO, but he stays in that role. You know what? I'm not trying to make Tatum cry, but (laughs) (laughs) so part of that is my, you know, when you talk about on the podcast, like having discipline Mm -hmm. and you talk about how you get up every morning at five o'clock, you know, Mm -hmm. to spend time with God before you start your day. And one of the things that I am still working on is like routine and ritual. Mm -hmm. While I know with entrepreneurship, it could be challenging to have Mm -hmm. that, but for the most part, um, Keeping things a routine, but still not don't you don't want to let it get boring. Yeah. So trying to find that balance between the two. And so one of the things that I started doing was thank God for your journal, because (laughs) now, like, I don't get up as early. I do get up around between like 555 and six. That's like my little grace period to wake up Mm -hmm. and I get up and I read, you know, whatever, you know, wherever I first, you know, I I actually, I probably should do it the opposite way, but instead of praying first, I usually start reading first. Mm -hmm. And then after I read, you know, I'll start um, journaling and after I journal, I'll pray. Mm -hmm. And so that's my time where like, I need to, I have to set the tone and the intention for my day because so many things are going to be thrown at you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do we get to the point where I believe, you know, God's word is the armor. So Mm -hmm. we have to put that on in order to help us to get through the day. And that's how one of the ways how I have been doing that just by simply getting up in the morning and say, okay, God, this is my time with God. Um, I'll go and lock my door and making sure this is that time is interrupted because for so long where I didn't even want to spend time with God. Now it's like, I naturally like, and I believe it's God, yeah. like just getting up around that same time every single day. Like, okay, you, you know what it is. And I'll get up mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, you know, what's the plan for today? What, what we got to do. Mm-hmm. And I found that that has been very helpful to me because now if something happens to come up or try to throw me off throughout the day, mm-hmm. I can easily pull, pull a scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's keeping yourself in remembrance. Because mm-hmm. I know for me, if there's times where, let's say my worldly stuff outweighs my spiritual stuff, 
my instinct goes to whatever. Like if I was listening to trap music more so than I listened to gospel that day and something comes up, I might go with my natural reaction to it. Like, man, forget this or whatever. But if I make sure that I'm as spiritually full as I need to be on a daily basis, if something comes up, then I'll go to, well, wait, 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 let me pray about this for a second. So I think it is definitely important to start those days with God. Make sure that that you are spiritually full on a day-to-day basis. And like you said, the routine, sometimes it does get boring, but you have to find ways to mix that up. Mm -hmm. I know for me, if I get tired of the same thing, because I get bored fast. So if I get tired of doing the same thing, instead of waking up and praying first, I'll listen to worship music. And it'll put me in that space Mm -hmm. And it'll wake me up for one So I'm not falling asleep while I'm praying It'll wake me up, it puts me in that space And then I can go and and, and resume What I normally would do But it's just so important to start your day with God Just to make sure that you're constantly in alignment And something that I did even when we were um, We were doing the Blessed and Bossed Up Challenge Was I would go it was kind of like a little lunchtime break with God. Like I would go check back in to make sure like, okay, I'm going to go live in a couple hours to talk to the group. Like what did it, what is it that you want me to say? Is there anything like I would just really have to go back and just make sure um, that I was on the right path. And I think that really taught me that just because I spend time with God in the morning don't mean I can't go back, mm-hmm. you know? So if it's something going on during the day and I may feel overwhelmed or something comes up, I can shut everybody down. That's the benefit of being an entrepreneur. I can tell I can cut my phone off. I can stop my emails. If it's for me, it's for me. I'm not afraid of losing no money. So I'm shutting everything down and I'm going and I'm spending time with God to get back to where I need to be. And then I'm going to put myself back into my day. So I think for anybody listening that's kind of struggling with um, how do you make time for God or make room for God in your business, figure out what works for you. I highly suggest getting a morning routine. But if you have to sometimes go in, if you at work and they trying you and you got to go in the bathroom real quick and put your headphones in, you only look crazy to yourself. Don't nobody uh, see you, you know, do what you do, what you have to do but um yeah I'm definitely glad that you said that because that routine is so important so um I want to know like how do you balance now now that you are I don't want to say used to your mental illness but you've kind of come to I guess a place of peace of understanding that this is life so how do you balance your mental illness with this assignment because I can only imagine how heavy it is you got your own stuff but then now because of the assignment on your life you sometimes take on other people's stuff too Mm -hmm. so how do you balance all of that you know I think first things first are boundaries oh yes yes so part of that is for what I realized that one of my triggers for me to possibly go into an episode is burnout. Mm-hmm. And so partly when I, prior to, right before I was diagnosed, I was also experiencing burnout because I was always doing 50,000 things as a way to not deal what was going on mm-hmm. in, um, internally. And now is. I don't want to operate like that in the sense of I feel like I have to pack so much on my plate so I'm not dealing. No, I, that at now it's what's the issue? How do I get to the root of the issue? And mm-hmm. so now it's, for instance, like my mom is a huge supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, but with my mom in the process of trying to come out of a abusive relationship, mm-hmm. my mom tells me everything. Like my mom is literally my best friend. She tells me so much. And sometimes I remember one time having to her like, mommy. I can't do this right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I love you. And I'm like, <laughs> I'll start tearing up. But like, I want to be there for you. But it's like, I have to draw the line somewhere because 
listening to the things that she's going through as her daughter, how is that not going to impact me? Right, right. So sometimes I have to be like, I I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. because if not, I know that I put myself at risk for possibly, you know, relapse. Mm -hmm. So I had to. So that's one instance where it's like boundaries or even like putting my phone on do not disturb. And it's my cousin. (laughs) She's funny, but she always says, like, why you always got the moon on your phone? (laughs) But because like so she so she's a freshman at Morgan. So she'll Mm -hmm. so so what she has mastered is if she really needs me. She calls my phone twice back to back because yeah, it's it gonna ring. go through. <laughs> Tried it. You gotta take her off your t- your faves list. <laughs> so the joints don't go through. So she, I was like, look, right now, um, and, and the thing is, sometimes with like working it, part of putting it on do not disturb is because social media, like the mm-hmm. constantly getting notified, I would never get anything done, um, or having time where one of my favorite things to do is to read. Mm-hmm. Um, that's time. Um, basically reading and listening to podcasts, like. Those, that's generally like how my life is set up right now. So I want those times where I could just kind of have to myself. So that's part of it is setting boundaries, letting my yes mean yes and my no mean no. Right. Like not feeling like I'm doing something out of obligation or out of guilt. And one of the things that I have been working on in therapy is like when I make a decision, how does that decision make me feel? Like actually mm-hmm. sit with it. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that my therapist has working um, has been working on with me. And I'm thinking like, okay, Am I doing this because I'm trying to avoid something or mm-hmm. or I'm trying to fill a void? Like, where is this coming from? So that's one of uh, one thing is boundaries. The other thing I would say is a therapist. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of times it's entrepreneurs. We think, oh, we got to get the accountant. Some people, they be like, oh, I got to get the PR person. I got to mm-hmm. get a business coach, like whatever it is. But it's like they kind of neglect their mental health. Mm-hmm. So I would also say, like, for me, it's therapy. I have my standing appointment each week. Shout out to Dr. Tucker. <laughs> so she knows like for, I mean for me it's like I have to make that a priority just like spending time with God is a priority just like eating um, in order to nourish my body just like praying um, just like getting enough sleep in order so you can function at your maximum capacity like therapy is one of those things where I have to put it on on that level mm-hmm. because with therapy is me identifying what are my triggers, um, what are, what coping strategies do I need to implement, mm-hmm. um, what boundaries do I need to set, not just for other people, but for myself. Mm-hmm. Because one of my challenges is when I get in a zone, like I literally could work for like hours and I just don't get away from the computer. Mm-hmm. And last night I remember talking to my friend who's an attorney. She was like, you just told me all this work stuff that you're doing. What do you do for fun? And I was thinking like... Um, <laughs> People ask me all the time. I'm like, I don't know, child. I was like, what am I doing for fun? I was like, um, I listen to podcasts and read books. Like, yeah. But for me, I had to, you know, and then I think another part of that with therapy has helped me is not comparing myself to other people because yeah. we'll look on social media and see all these people, you know, doing this stuff like, the, oh, they out here winning. And um, mm-hmm. I had to set the balance of when you are... Um, I don't want. I don't know if content is the word, but when you are walking in your calling and in your assignment, there's a certain level of confidence and boldness that when what other people are doing won't even phase you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And that was something because I used to struggle with that. Um, this was like before my diagnosis and I started the first business. I used mm-hmm. to be like, oh, look at they look like they live in this glamorous life. And then I couldn't even get on social media for at least a good year and a half. Like mm-hmm. it was a huge trigger. I remember writing like an article about how social media is a trigger. I couldn't stand <laughs> like I couldn't stand when I saw somebody got engaged. Maybe <laughs> if I was connected with you at that time, I would have been like, OK, we're going to have to hide her notification. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Ain't no baby notifications coming from over here, though. <laughs> you ain't got to worry about that one. <laughs> no time soon. <laughs> so it was, like, really hard for me, but that's because I was also not, I was neglecting my mental health, and I was putting, and even God, I was putting all this energy into, like, my business and um, not taking care of myself, and so that's why none of those things sustain. But I think now I've, I don't want to say master, but I've gotten a better uh, grasp on how do I how do I balance it. And sometimes that may mean that I can't go out because I'm also in the trenches, as you say, you know, it's just certain sacrifices that you have to make. Mm -hmm. And right now, therapy is more important for me than going out to happy hour. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have to uh, pick and choose um, how is this going to impact not not only just the business, but how is this going to impact my mental health? Um, Part of that is also letting go of toxic people like certain people in my life. I had to let them go. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one friend where I couldn't I had to let her go because I felt like she couldn't accept all of me. She wanted the bubbly, happy, happy, funny Kia, but she couldn't deal with the Kia was in the episode. And I was like, people in my life had to accept all of me. You can't pick and choose what parts of me you want to associate with. Mm -hmm. And so while it's not easy, it's hard. It's like, it's so hard. That's probably the hardest thing I had to do outside of like school, but it's like working on yourself. Mm -hmm. But I find that that's why when I was like sitting on a panel and someone said, the the advice it was like well, what do you tell people who want to start a business and everyone was like oh get a business coach everyone was like yeah. oh make sure you you know they were having the I guess the book answers cliche right yeah. but it's like that's not saying that those things are wrong but my thing was I said make sure you clean up what's on the inside before you launch any God given purpose like how are you going to work from how are you going to you know my cup runneth over and I say that all the time what's in my cup is for me what runs over is for everybody else mm-hmm. and so it's like I cannot I can no longer operate in in that space and so that's what has been helping me and that's a word man and that's that's why I always say broken people build broken businesses because it's so easy to just put makeup over Mm -hmm. a black eye it's easy to do that but it's hard to look at why you got that black eye in the first place what led you into that relationship to where you feel like abuse is acceptable Mm -hmm. what's broken inside of you you know just really taking that hard look on yourself is the difficult work and people oftentimes try to sweep things under the rug and always say the more stuff you sweep on a rug eventually you're gonna trip over it and fall on your face Mm -hmm. you gotta clean that stuff up and um, I love the book I always talk about it Pastor Torrey's book uh, Wholeness Mm -hmm. And it talks about like patterns. And so if you find yourself in the same situation, you got to take a second and, and track back. Like, how do I always end up at this dude house? You know, how do I always end up with no money despite all of these these income raises that I'm getting? Like, you got to really track back to figure out, like, how am I getting here and work on the inside? Like right now I'm reading um, this book. So like at the end of last year, God was telling me to study David in the Bible. And so I was kind of like, OK, so I would read up about him in the Bible, but I never really understood that totally. Like, I kind of just would read read it in the Bible for the sake of saying I did it, but I never really studied him 
in depth. And so I was talking to my friend um, Tiana recently, and I was kind of venting about just some things that I've just gone through internally. And she was saying like, didn't you say that God told you to study David? And she was like, yeah. She was like, no, you. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, no, you need to go back to that because it sounds like a lot like David's story. So I'm like, okay. So I bought this book and it's like a, it's kind of like a biography about David and it goes into detail about, it uses the scriptures, but then it goes into detail about like his life, who he was, et cetera. So I, I just started it, but just as I'm reading, I realized so much why God was telling me that I need to study David. And a major, one of the major things that I identify with David is that God made him, God anointed him as king when he was a teenager, when he was young, and when he was out in the field minding his business. Like, he was minding his business. He wasn't trying to do anything. And that's when God called him. But there was a time, there was a significant time frame from when he was an, uh, anointed as king and when he actually got on the throne. And in that that time period, that's where David really had to get developed. You know what I mean? He, the Bible often describes him as a man after God's own heart. So his character was always right. He always had a heart for God, but it was in the, that season. And that's why God knew that he could use him. But it was in that season of being called and actually taking the throne where character had to be built, where he had to work on things within himself, where he had to be isolated, where he had to um, work on those non-excellent areas in his life and maximize that season so that and and when we think about David of course we always think about like the David and Goliath story Mm -hmm. but the reason why David was like oh Goliath ain't nothing is because he passed all those tests when nobody was paying attention it was because when he was tending to those sheep when all of the the animals came and he defeated them so Goliath was nothing because he did it before but that that shepherd season is where a lot of us try to shy away from or skip over. That's that character building season, that time where you looking at yourself and realizing that you're broken. And in order for you to be successful, you got to go confront your parents or in order for you to be successful, you have to surrender your body or in order for you to be successful, you got to come to terms with your mental illness. Like it's these things that those things that you're talking about is the stuff that people want to skip over. And I just hope that anybody that's listening, anybody who follows me really understands the importance of working on yourself. And like you said, when your cup runneth over, when it runs over, everything else is for y'all. But what's in that cup is for me. And so it's important to make sure your cup is clean, your water is mm-hmm. pure, because that's what's going to spill over too. Mm-hmm. If you got a bad attitude and you out here trying to close deals, you're going to mess up your reputation because you don't know how to deal with people. Or if you don't know how to be excellent as far as your time management, you showing up a late late all the time and you think that's cute, something important is going to happen and you're going to miss out on the opportunity because you're late. But if you would have showed up on time to the smaller meetings, getting to the big meeting is nothing because you already did that. Or when you get to um, a certain place where something big happens and you have to make a tough decision, that's nothing because you don't over, you, you beating the Goliath is nothing because you don't beat all the lions and tigers and bears that already came into your life. But that's that season. And it's such an important season, that character building season. And I know a lot of people who listen to this show are currently in that season. And that's the season where the devil really really comes to kill your dreams and kill your 
assignment is when you're in that, is when you're having that episode. It's when you're sitting in that hospital trying to figure out how did I even get here? That's when he comes to tell you that God isn't real, that God doesn't love you. And God is just building your character. He's shaping your story. So when somebody calls you and say, um, such and such just had a, a suicide or she's a suicide survivor. Can you talk to her that you're able to meet her exactly where you are? But you can't see that in that moment, of mm-hmm. course. But you have to be in that moment in order to relate to somebody in that. And so for everybody's listening, don't don't grow weary in doing the right thing. Like don't get don't grow weary in that that character building season. Like I posted on Twitter yesterday, like don't be so focused on asking God what's next and asking him to bless you and asking for that increase that you don't figure out how can I get excellent in the right now? What is it about? What do I have on my plate right now that I can get better with until God promotes me? Because his timing is going to be his timing regardless. You rushing them ain't going to change nothing. So because of that, like, look, if if I'm showing up late all the time, all right, let me start getting to places when I say I'm going to get there. I know for me yesterday, I was like, I've been believing in God for this house in Potomac, but my apartment look crazy right now. I need to clean up or my car, my trunk is full of nonsense. So let me go clean out my car because one day I'm going to be maintaining my white Porsche Panamera. You know, let me make sure that this 800 square foot apartment is good because I know that my 10,000 square foot house is going to be clean. Like, let me make sure that I'm excellent in everything that I have right now so that when God, let me make sure I'm tithing right now so that it's nothing to tithe my $100,000 when when God gives me my million. Let me make sure I'm doing all of these things right now and I'm excellent in every single area in my life right now that I can control so that when God is ready to bless me, I'm ready for it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So again, for y'all that's listening, don't grow weary in this state. Like the wilderness season is probably the most important season Mm -hmm. because it's the people who don't value this season that lose everything, that get so prideful. Like I have a friend who I know is going to be extremely successful and my prayer for them all the time is, God, please don't let them get prideful. And I can tell by how they're managing or the way they talk about where they're at right now that that there's a possibility for that happening. So I try to pray against that and then ask God for wisdom on how to talk to them about it in a in the right way but though when you aren't managing properly in the season that you're in you're going to squander it when God gives it to you so yeah slight little rant but anyway no, but it was something that you that you said and I was like tearing up when you were talking about the story of David because it immediately brought me back to that time where I attempted suicide mm. and it was that that point in my life where I was just questioning God and Mm -hmm. I you know didn't think that there even was a God so that's when it made me realize like okay now looking back on that time thank God you know that he spared my life and my friend called when she did Mm -hmm. um and told them she didn't actually even know that I attempted I just told her it would be better if I wasn't here and I started like preparing suicide letters Mm -hmm. and um but it, when I look back on that time and now I have this, um, like my new, I call her my little sister who, you know, was just diagnosed with bipolar disorder that, and I look and I say, wow, even though it was hard, but thank you, God, mm-hmm. you know, thank you for the storm because mm-hmm. I didn't understand it, but it's like, wow, if I'm in a position where I meet people where they're, where they're in the most vulnerable spaces of their life, mm-hmm. people who are contemplating suicide 
people who hear voices, but they're afraid to say, I, I hear voices and mm -hmm. I don't. And if I tell someone that I hear voices or I see things that aren't there, they're going to say you're crazy or something's wrong with you. And uh, it takes a special person to be able to sit down with those type of people and not judge them when they when there's already a mental health stigma overall. Right. And so now I look at that point where I took those pills and drunk all this wine and my goal was that I would not wake up. Yeah. Now when I look at that moment and I'm like, wow, God, this is this is what you were preparing me for. And so, you know, I would always encourage people to actually, even though it's hard to go through that season, but really seek God in that because he will start to reveal to you why you're going through this season. And he may not, you may not, he may not reveal it at that time, but eventually mm -hmm. you will understand why. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about mental health since it is mental health awareness month. I have to admit, I'm one of those people who don't know a lot about the mental health field. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a household where what happens in this house stays in this house. But I've always been open to the idea of therapy. I was never one of those people where it was like, I'm not going to go to a therapist. I was one of those people where I knew if I kept this inside long enough, something was going to happen. So before I kill somebody else or, you know, or um, try to kill myself, like something has got, I got to talk to somebody. So with me, everything that I went through growing up, like my aunt was always an outlet for me. She's definitely not a therapist, but she allowed me to get it out. And that wasn't a Adult, I always advocate for therapy. I, I have, I'm in counseling right now. I'm looking for a therapist for myself for um, when I before for me to go to prior to getting married because I just think it is so important. So let's talk about mental health. What I know before we we started recording, you were saying that black people have the highest suicide rate, right? So black boys. So, no, I'm saying that black boys, they have the, what is it? It's the highest rate by hanging themselves. Mm, okay. So black boys have the highest rate by hanging for uh, killing themselves. And Latinas, meaning Hispanic females who are teenagers, they have the highest rate of suicide across uh, people of color. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So then... What percentage of people in our community actually battle some sort of mental illness? So I, I don't know the exact percentage, but mm -hmm. I know that is more common than we think. And mm -hmm. part in the research that I have seen is because of when we think about systematic racism, mm -hmm. when we think about we're still dealing with the generational trauma. So when you think back to slavery, mm -hmm. when we were stripped of our culture and being enforced to take on a new culture mm -hmm. and that had an impact. And so the way a lot of times that we operate is a direct, has a direct correlation to slavery. Mm -hmm. So when you think about like, not don't, don't say nothing because I mean, when we were slit, well, not us, but when our ancestors were yeah, slave, yeah. they'll be like, you know, you can't, you can't say anything to master or mm -hmm. like, you know, we have to sneak and read those, those kind of mental that that mentality was just passed down from generation to generation. And there has been research that there's a, I, I'm gonna have to get back with the name, but there's a woman who has created research and it's called instead of PTSD for post-traumatic stress disorder is post-traumatic slave disorder. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how there's a, a direct correlation between blacks now and to, um, you know, the experience that our ancestors dealt with. And so I think I answered your question today. Yeah. So, um, 
So with mental illnesses, is this something that is developed or is is it something that people are born with or maybe a little bit of both? So it can be both. Mm-hmm. So there oops, there are people who where it's genetic. Okay. So well I didn't notice at the time until after I got out of the hospital, my grandfather was like, Oh, when I was fourteen I tried to kill myself and then he was wow. like, Oh, your uncle, he's schizophrenic. Wow. And we had to force him to be committed to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like by the state. And so I was like Oh, so we quick to talk about the birds and the bees. Don't yeah, why nobody before, say that? Right. It's like don't have sex before marriage or right. all the things we want to tell us, but y'all we're not having this conversation about mental health. Mm. And so there are instances where people where it's genetic and it's past, but then it's also can be vi- environmental. So like what's currently going on in your life. And so sometimes it's a combination of the of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and and rehab, research has even shown that there have been people like if they have, uh, if a parent has bipolar disorder, then how like that child has a, a chance of getting it de- or developing it rather. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it could be like, say like, for instance, the only way I can think about it is they say that research shows that we all have like cancer cells. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what are the things that we put into our body that constantly feed those Got cells? It. Got it. So with mental illness, a lot of times where it can be situational. So like we can speak in terms of like um, depression, there can be situational depression where somebody, maybe they can go through a divorce mm-hmm. or they just lost their job. And those situations can cause them to go into a depression. But then as they work through that situation, um, the depression, they, I don't want to say healed from the depression, but they have, but once that situation gets better mentally, they're able to kind of progress back into their life. But then there's other people like me where I have been dealing and going in and out of episodes since I was 12 years old, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know that Mm -hmm. that's what it was because I didn't have any knowledge of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so... That's, it just kind of depends on the situation because it's really complex. There's like no one size yeah. at all. Got you. So for then, so for some people, is it able to be cured? So you know what? When you speaking of since this podcast we're talking about God, I truly do believe that yeah. God can heal people from a mental illness, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also a realness that I have to sometimes tell myself because there are sometimes, for instance, where people may have cancer and they, you know, unfortunately they may die, mm-hmm. but. It's the same thing, kind of like with mental illness. There are some people who have been cured, and they're like, "Oh wow, I don't, I've never dealt with it ever again." But then there are some people; it could just be a part of the plan, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there have been, even I was actually interviewing um, a therapist who's actually of faith, and she said that you know she there has been instances where she's seen people healed from schizophrenia or um, generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder or schizophrenia, whatever it was, and she said that God healed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I think with any illness, you know, we know that God can heal us, mm-hmm. um, but then we also have to think of the realness of it. Well, what if I what if I'm not healed, mm-hmm. then how do I cope and how do yeah. I manage this on a day to day? I like when you say that um, you can pray and have a therapist because <laughs> I yeah. think people oftentimes think that faith is one thing, one or the other. Like you go to the doctor, mm-hmm. but you also pray for mm-hmm. a healing like you. It's not one or the other, like the pastor telling you to speak in tongues for 20 minutes. No, like go to a therapist so you can figure out what's going on. So I, I definitely love that point. I think you had a podcast on it, too, about how you can pray as well as see a therapist mm-hmm. but it's interesting 
interesting how like you didn't find out until after that you got diagnosed that you had people in your family who had mental illness as well. Like that was what frustrates me a lot about black families is we don't talk to each other about this stuff. Like if I knew that, let's say, um, so for my family, Alzheimer's is something that happens on my grandmother's side of the family. So now I know that there's something that can happen or let's say diabetes or any other type of illness that runs in your family. The doctor asks you on a form, do you have, does your family have history of any of these things? Right. But the doctor don't ask you, does your family have a history of any type of mental illness? Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's so important that as black families, especially as us as young people who are starting families and just growing into our own, I think it's something that we should all take a, a note of is to take inventory on what's going on in our families. Like, I know my friend Tiana, she, uh, mental illness runs in her family. So she made sure that she went to a therapist because she was trying to make sure that whatever trait that she had doesn't develop into something Mm -hmm. else. But yeah, so why do you think that therapy is something that is just so taboo in the black community or is it getting better? You know, so I would say before it was taboo. And I think partly because I'm laughing because of like of my ignorance before I was diagnosed. Like I thought like therapy was for crazy people. So I'm like, I'm not crazy. Like I'm not going to see no therapist. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just pray. Like even in the book, Jennifer Lewis's book, The Mother of Black Hollywood. And she was talking about how there was an instance where she told uh, Whitney Houston, like, you know, because, you know, Jennifer Lewis has bipolar disorder. And she said, like, you know, you should go see a therapist. And when Houston was like, mm, God gonna handle me, you know, mm-hmm. like, cause it's like we have this thing, it's like, oh no. Like, yeah. So, and she said after that, she never said anything else to her about it cause you could tell it like struck a chord because with us, it's like we're just told to just uh, pray about it. But I remember. I remember when, as I was preparing to give a, um, to talk at a women's conference for a church and I was praying and I said, God, what is it that you want me to tell your people? Like, I, mm-hmm. I need you to not people not allow people to just to see me and hear me but that they hear a word from you right and so he brought me to the story when I thought thought about the story of Elijah mm-hmm. and there was an instance where Elijah was really isolated and he was I believe he was like when he was at a tree and he said his words were um, I'll be better when my ancestors just let me die and I sat with that and I said Elijah was going through a depression mm-hmm. because with depression, one of the things is suicide ideation um, or whether it's having suicidal thoughts or actually just wanting to die. And I was like, wow, as long as I've been in church, I've never heard anybody um, talk about Elijah in that sense, in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And so that's when, you know, when I was talking to the women at the conference and telling them that. Even when you when you think about Elijah being in that very uh, dark place of his of his life, mm-hmm. he was still going to God for counsel. Yeah. And so when we think about, you know, mental illness and a person doesn't even have to have a mental illness to go to. But counseling. Elijah has somebody in physically there with him as well. Was it Elisha? I feel like it was. He Elisha. did have somebody else with him, but it was a point in time where he left and he okay. was by himself. OK. But I think, I don't know which part of the story, but I I know at one point somebody was with him and was like, no, I'm not letting you go by yourself. Because he, wherever he was going, he was about to die anyway. I can't remember. This is when he was about to die. He took his shirt off or something mm-hmm. and hit the seat and part of it and went through. Uh-huh. But 
to me, now that you're bringing that up, the way I look at Elisha, I believe that's what it was, who it was. But looking at Elisha being with Elijah at that point, to me, that represents God will be there for us, but he will also put physical people mm-hmm. there with us, Absolutely. too. And that can be the therapist. Exactly. And that's how I took it as where I, you know, told the woman, I said, we can pray. And that doesn't mean that, like, for instance, if someone is diagnosed with any type of illness, whether it's cancer or whatever it is that God is not going to be there because I always say we hear the term in church supernatural, you know, and Mm -hmm. I hear for me, I'm like, okay, God's going to do the super and I'm going to do the natural, Mm -hmm. but God, we know faith without works is dead. So how God can't meet us if we don't actually put the work in Mm -hmm. and putting that work in for me was going to therapy and facing those demons Mm -hmm. and allowing God to work uh, through my therapist. Even my therapist, when I would tell her like, yeah, I don't know about, you know, if I'm believing God anymore, you know, I just don't know if this thing is you know, this relationship or this religion is, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. And she still encouraged me. It was like, okay, well, I wouldn't get, you know, where, I don't know what, what if she, I don't know what her religion, but she would tell me and say like, don't step too far away from that because that seemed to be the thing that was sustaining you. So mm-hmm. while you may be in this moment of your life, we still have to, we're going to have to pick back up on this to see um, the the relevance and the importance and why do you feel like you don't want to have anything to do with it. Obviously it's because of the things people said, which mm-hmm. not it's not a reflection of God, but it's just that I was so was so low in that moment that I couldn't think clearly. And mm-hmm. if it was something that someone was, t- if I wasn't even eating you know, or showering, I was not about to figure out how to talk in tongues and I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I think of when you think of People being afraid to go to therapy. I think that it's getting better because like podcasts, different podcasts like Minding My Black Business or the Honeybee podcast, all these mental health podcasts is kind of like um, digital waiting rooms where people kind of listen in before they actually go yeah. to therapy. Because now, but before that, we didn't have those moments. And so that's why I pride uh, my podcast on actually giving people the platform to share their story so they can say, this is what happened to me when I was in the psychiatric unit. Mm-hmm. This is what recovery looks like for me, opposed to saying the therapist telling you how it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say, we, I think we need both because yeah, they perspectives. have, right. Because they have the resources that mm-hmm. we need to be treated. But I think that we're getting to a place now where it's more acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. They're even putting it more now in like TV shows like mm-hmm. Issa Rae's show or Insecure when Molly was going to therapy yeah. or like um, the the show Giants and how there's yeah. a character who has bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. I love that show. Yeah, I love Giants. <laughs> so um, yeah, and it's, and it's great. I think it's important that we even see images like that that are to try to get it as most as accurate as possible even though it's for entertainment purposes because a lot of times that that may be the only look that people have into therapy. So So what are some, I guess, myths or what are some of the biggest things that you wish or want people to understand about mental illness that or mental health in general? Um, yeah. So that mental health, when you think about managing your mental health, think about also managing your physical health. Like we know that we work out and have a well-balanced diet with mental health is going to therapy. You don't have to have a mental illness to go to therapy. Like with, uh, going to therapy, it helps you figure out, you know, what are the things that you need to do when you're stressed and just coping Mm -hmm. strategies for Mm -hmm. daily living, not just, Oh, I hear voices. Like it's just not limited mm-hmm. to those people. Mm-hmm. So, what I forgot the question. Just some strategies oh, or things that you want people to know about mental health. So I think that's one of them. The other thing is that like 
like we're not crazy. I know I was talking to someone on my podcast and she was saying how (laughs) that she used to really, really like hate that. Like when people would say like, oh, that's just crazy, you know, that's just crazy, uh, such and such. And it's like we do that a lot. We'll we'll say to like uh, parents or like say like in our black families, like we'll have an uncle or family member who like just kind of stay hid away in the back room and you kind of don't know like what's going on with them. And mm-hmm. you, nobody really says anything, but everybody knows that something is going on. But actually to not to actually address those things opposed to just sweeping it under the rug, mm-hmm. because it's the moment where for me, what I have found in other people who I've worked with is that. The moment that you actually own your truth and say the, you know, work, the demons that you're working to fight is I find that like your liberty and your healing is on the other side because yeah. it takes so much energy to like try to fake it. Mm-hmm. Like it's so exhausting. Like mm-hmm. now I'm out here. I'm just like I'm just like a little a little butterfly because it's mm-hmm. like I don't have to hide anymore. Like people know what it is. Yeah. So I would definitely say that be open to the conversation. And if there are any like parents listening um, to the podcast, um, you know, to be really um, intentional about, like you said, your friend, she was like, okay, I want to make sure I'm not, um, Mm -hmm. if I am carrying this, if I have a family, like how is this going to impact them? Yeah. Because uh, if you're a parent, of course we know anything that, impacts us impacts our children Mm -hmm. um and then even being open to the idea of that is there if there is something going on you know with a child to actually take them to go see someone because you don't want to get to the point where you know when some people ask me like why do you think your cousin uh killed herself and it's like well I can't really answer that question because I don't know but I do know that I can say that it wasn't his fault because sometimes people will say like um suicide is very selfish but it's like or, but then I think about it like, would y'all say somebody who died by cancer, uh, were, were they selfish? It's kind of like we give this, um, we we kind of give like physical illnesses more precedent over mental illness because we feel like the person with the mental illness, they could control it. Mm. Um, and that sometimes that could be very hurtful because it's like, yeah. I knew, I knew, you know, I know that I'm loved. I know that I have a great support system. So I, I know that I'm loved. I know that I have a great support system, but when it comes to mental illness, I, you know, really want people to understand that it's really not something a person, you know, can control. And I remember a pastor saying that if someone died by, um, from diabetes because they forgot to take their medicine, would you say it was their fault? Wow. And I, and it, and I was like, wow, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it truly is an illness. It is not something that a person can control because if it was that easy to control, then I mean, yeah. we wouldn't need therapists and yeah. it's not, or saying things like snap out of it. Uh, ain't nothing wrong with you. You'll be fine because it's those things that make people isolate yeah. and put them into, you know, making their episode even harder because now they feel like no one can relate to them. Mm-hmm. And I think something that I've taken away from this, and I think a lot of people should take away from this, who may not be in the mental health field or you may not personally battle or um, have been diagnosed with a mental illness is that we should just watch what we say to people for one um, and to just exercise empathy at all times because you never know what someone is going through or you never know something that you say can put them into an episode and it even makes me think about like social media where like comment sections be deadly on social media 
And that can really impact somebody Mm -hmm. and send them into an episode because you have hundreds of people or whatever just totally going in on you. And I think that that has a lot to do with and I would be very curious to hear about the statistics or anything of younger people who live social media lives. Because, I mean, for us, that's a little bit older. I went outside when I was a kid. I played Nintendo 64. Like we didn't have no social media Mm -hmm. or the Internet. We I think, well. my, I think I had MySpace. Yeah, MySpace, but it wasn't, it was so new, it right. wasn't a part of our life. Right. So by the time Instagram came out, I was definitely in college. So by the time social media got to be like life, we were already grown and knew enough about life and actually living it in person as opposed to living it online. But these younger kids coming up, social media is everything. You know and so what? go ahead. I'm I'm so glad you said that. So there's I don't remember the exact number, but there, there's a study that they did to show that there's a higher rate for girls who develop um, generalized anxiety disorder, really any, because there's like five different types of anxiety disorders, um, experience even depression because of social media, actually teenage girls, because they constantly get in the comparison mode or you see somebody have a certain uh, body. Mm-hmm. Um, so for actually for girls that there is a higher, for teenage girls, there's a higher rate of them developing a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um and even what, so my my brother, who's, he'll be 18 next month, and I took him on a college trip, and he posted a picture or whatever, and he said, well, if I don't get 100 likes, I'm taking this down. I was like, why? That's their life. <laughs> I was like, why? Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, what's, what's the point? And he said... Uh, because I said, so do you know that you that means that you are most likely insecure because now you're giving people the opportunity to validate if they like something or if they like you. Like, it's so much deeper than like, okay, I just want to like. Like, what's mm-hmm. going on psychologically that you feel like these people that you connect to a social media social media that they need to validate you? Mm-hmm. And I was like, so that most likely means you're insecure. And he said, mm, well, I guess I'm insecure. But they don't think about it like that. And they probably don't even care. Like, they just, it's just life. So it's all they know. Having a lot of likes mean that that picture was good. Like, that's the rules. Or a lot of comments means that you are pretty. That's the rules. So they have this playbook that's been set before them with social media and stuff that just, it scares me, if I'm being honest. That's why when it comes to me thinking about, like, starting a family and stuff, I'm like, I have to be in a position where I can really give my kids a a lot of my time and attention because I cannot have my kids growing up talking about 100 likes like I I would feel like I freaking failed as a parent and I know that there's going to be things that I can't control but just thinking about it now it just makes me feel like what can I do mm-hmm. and then even with like my youth program and anything or any anything that I present to the world I try to really make sure that it's as authentic as possible because we've gotten into such a superficial Mm -hmm. world to where it's like you can't go on live without being beat. And I feel like that sometimes too. I just am too lazy to actually do it. So y'all just going to get this live the way I'm sitting here. But, um, but like, you know, or we feel like I'm not posting a picture. I can't post a picture on Instagram if I'm not posed or it's not a professional photographer. And there are certain rules, you know, to that as far as business goes. Right. But some people 
feel like if just like your brother grown 20 something, 30 somethings, if I don't get a lot of likes or if I don't have a lot of followers, then for some reason that says something about me or it's just we're just I don't know. It's just we've been ingrained with just this superficial mentality. And so for me, I just know personally, I just really try to make sure that I'm always transparent and vulnerable and presenting the real deal to people so that I'm not adding to that. You know what I mean? Right. And even it was something that you said on Twitter where you said likes doesn't necessarily associate or like followers doesn't necessarily associate with like money. People can have all these Instagram famous, but they don't have no money. Mm -hmm. And I think I like retweeted it because I'm like, that's so true. Like Mm -hmm. people feel the need. It's like, we're seeking validation. You, I see articles where it's like people going broke just to stunt for Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it's like Mm -hmm. all of that energy Mm -hmm. that we're going to put into um, stunting, like put that energy into actually developing yourself, developing Mm -hmm. your relationship with God that will ultimately develop your business. Mm-hmm. And that stuff ain't sexy and I get it. That's why people aren't <laughs> drawn to it because mm-hmm. it's not sexy. But that's why I think that God is so good because he will use people who are actually doing that and make it sexy. Mm-hmm. So you may see me saying, oh, I'm celebrating one year self-employed or when I buy my house in Potomac, it will be on Instagram because I'm going to be hype. But <laughs> when I get my, you know, my big house, heck yeah, you're going to see a picture of me at the house, but you're going to be able to see. And I try to make sure that I'm I'm going to show you the results of doing the work mm-hmm. while telling you about the work. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why I really enjoy, you know, enjoy the podcast was because like when you and Milan first started the podcast, like y'all was talking about like what stage y'all were in and y'all were saying like, this is my goal. I want to be self-employed by this time. Mm-hmm. And so you saw like the journey or the evolution, I guess, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And so for me, that's why I, even for myself on social media, there's a time where I put on my stories and I was like, y'all today is like actually not a good day where I'm feeling like you know mm-hmm. I'm going into I have a I don't want to say I was in an episode but it was just I knew that my levels were off because mm-hmm. with any type of mental illness it's a chemical imbalance in the brain or um, mental health professionals say or it's a disruption in the brain mm-hmm. and so I knew that I was not leveled and so it was hard for me and I like stayed in the bed all day and I couldn't do any work now I know that's the complete opposite of me because I'm so passionate about my work that I literally could do it all day and I had said something like today is not a good day like don't get so I don't want anyone to get so caught up and see me in the magazine features that I'm that I'm getting or like the speaking engagements that like every day is sunshine and rainbows because that's not true like Mm -hmm. I still have my moments Mm -hmm. um, and I still have days where I just like you know what today is a really um, tough day and I and I can't do it Mm -hmm. so I think it's important that when when we're when we we are on social media that like people like you when you're doing the podcast is that we kind of provide some balance where it may not be the glitzy or the most thing uh, best thing but to mm-hmm. be like really transparent for, for people to see like it's every day is not like what y'all may see on social media because mm-hmm. at the end of the day it's filtered we paint the picture that we want yeah exactly <laughs> so is there any parting words is there anything that you want people to um, leave with definitely tell them where they can find your podcast though 
Oh, yeah. So uh, the podcast, Fireflies Unite with Kia, you can uh, get the podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, um, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, um, and the website, which is www.firefliesunite.com. And no, again, the podcast is about mental health. It's not about bugs, y'all. So I say that Beyonce, <laughs> Beyonce got her beehive, Kia got her fireflies. That's, that's how that's it works. Um, so mainly uh, my cousin helped me come up with that name because just like fireflies, they bring light into darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where we got the name from. Um, awesome. So, yeah, I have so they can keep up with me that way on social media. They can add me at Fireflies Pod and uh, keep up with any speaking engagement or, or anything. Awesome. All right, you guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Blessing Bossed Up podcast. I will talk to you guys next week. Besides rare finds, secret shows, whether it's a must-see concert or a must-have coin, curious types crave interesting experiences. Bittrex is a cryptocurrency exchange empowering traders to feed their curiosity. With more than 100 tokens and unparalleled security, Bittrex offers a platform for next big thing discoverers to dive in. Get ready to trade beyond the trend. Discover more at...